You know, there's a, a part of this that, like, I get really excited about change. I love change, which is a weird thing for a lot of people. Um, but then this other part of it is, like, in order to really live and to see what's happening in our world, if you're not walking around kind of pissed off, I don't know if you're really seeing it for what it is mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, and that's probably a very unpopular opinion, but I'm not going to silver lining the fact that we have got a lot of problems that we, you know, self-imposed. So, and we have the ability to fix it. And I think the thing that makes me angry is when we choose to turn away from it and not identify it, and then also in turn choose not to fix it. What's it like combating an entrenched problem like homelessness during a pandemic? What skills and mindset make the difference in good times and bad? And how does one get selected Prescott Woman of the Year? Find out from Coalition for Compassion and Justice Executive Director Jesse Hans. In 2018, Jesse and her team set the bold, crazy intention to end homelessness in Prescott. Since COVID, they had redoubled their efforts to house every member of the Prescott community and connect their clients to the services that will help them get back on their feet and back to their lives. We talk with Jesse about the housing first philosophy, leading her team with authenticity and transparency, the value of partnerships, and how to stay human when things get tough. After 16 years in the human services field, Jesse Hans has a real understanding of how addiction, trauma, mental illness, and systemic barriers can put people out on the street. Jesse takes a collaborative approach to problem solving, bringing together people and organizations with the gifts and skill sets to make meaningful progress on difficult problems. She also works consciously to shift the narrative around people experiencing homelessness to help everyone see what she sees, human beings, citizens, neighbors, members of the community. Born and raised in Iowa, Jessie earned her BFA at Northwest Missouri State University, and she's lived in Arizona since 2005. Jessie has a wife and three young kids, and she enjoys quality time with that family, traveling, reading, creating art, and singing. And as we mentioned, Jessie was recently named Woman of the Year by Prescott Area Leadership. When we asked her the uncomfortable question about why she thought she was chosen for this honor, she told us the award honored her role more than her actions. We think she might be being too humble, but we'll let you decide why you think Jesse deserves the win. Stay tuned to find out what it's like to have the audacity to take on the big problems with love, humor, and vulnerability as we talk with CCJ's Jesse Hans. This is the Prescott Woman Podcast, an audio supplement of Prescott Woman Magazine, and we're your hosts, Kelly Roberge and Charles Matthews. All right, let's get local. And welcome to the Prescott Woman Podcast. We are here today with Jesse Hans from the Coalition for Compassion and Justice here in Prescott. We're really excited to. Yeah, thanks for being here. And, and congratulations on being named Prescott Woman of the Year. Oh, thank you very much. What an awesome honor, really. Um, thank you. Yeah, so that was, you were named uh, Prescott Woman of the Year by the Prescott Area Leadership Group. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it was really cool. I got to present to class number 30, I think they're on. Um, and I got to present to that class twice on two different topics. And it was just really 
a, a cool place to be able to chat with folks, but also to be surrounded by people who had ideas that really jived with mine and aligned with them. So it wasn't uh, one of those situations where you just talk to people. It was really great to hear from them and what a great group of people. And I'm really grateful for Prescott Area Leadership too, just doing what they do in our community, bringing people together, networking, and then honoring folks in our in our area that are that are making changes and doing good things. Absolutely. It was super cool. Yeah. The previous episode of the Prescott Woman podcast, we interviewed Diane DeLong, who had just been selected for uh, Prescott Athena, Athena Award. Athena for, Award, yeah. For Powerful Women. And she also was involved in starting Prescott Area Leadership way back in the, I think the 80s or early 90s. I can't remember. So there's kind of a lineage yeah. there. Amazing. And I think that I think that's one of the things that, that does hold this community together is this this urge that we seem to have in Prescott to kind of honor one another and lift one another up when we see great things yeah. happening. And that's, I hope people kind of pay attention to that and, and pay attention to, to the good things that are happening in the community, for sure. That's, that's so real. I think, uh, especially in this year, there were a lot of connections that, that have happened over the years because this is a, a community, I think, that looks to support each other. So when the pandemic happened uh, at the beginning, it was so natural to be able to call people and to say, how are we going to do this together? How can we figure this out? How are we going to serve these people differently? Um, and, and I don't think you find that everywhere. And so it, it is really important to recognize that, you know, between the schools and the nonprofits and the businesses and the, you know, so many people just said, how can I help? And it, and it, made it, it, made, it has made a huge difference. Great, great. Yeah, we have a we have an awkward question for you. I love awkward things. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So why do you think you got the honor of being woman of the year? Oh, geez. Um, that is a hard and awkward question that I had not thought about. Um, so there's this great talk that um, that I've heard, and it's I think Simon Sinek references it, but this fella he goes to a conference um, for the second year in a row to speak. And the first year he had this big label um, and, you know, worked for an, a specific company and he was honored in a way. And he said that the second year that he went, he realized that the year prior he'd been picked up by a really fancy car and taken to a very nice hotel, treated very well, ushered in to his speech, given this nice ceramic mug, to drink out of while he spoke and all of these wonderful things that he was reminiscing from the year prior. And the second year he went, he was no longer in that role. And what he experienced was getting a rental car, going to a hotel that he booked himself, and then going up to the podium and having a styrofoam cup. And so he proceeded to make a speech that talked about the role that you fill and that sometimes it's the role that you fill that earns the nice ceramic mug. It is not necessarily the person that you are, because he said, I'm the same person I was last year. I just don't have this specific role in this community. I reference that because I think CCJ is a place that has for almost 20 years been a place of refuge for people who need help, for those who are living check to check and might fall on hard times, and all different kinds of resources. And I was just actually talking about this last night with our previous executive director, Paul, um, as he was named man of the year, uh, when he was the executive director. And I, you know, I jokingly said, well, I'm trying to follow in your footsteps, Paul. And we were referencing the magic of CCJ 
and what we're able to accomplish because we're so well supported in the community, because the people that come to work there have a passion for what we do. And we have the boldness to say, just because it worked last time doesn't mean it's the best option this time. Let's keep recreating ourselves until we get the very best results for the people that we serve. And don't be afraid to make decisions today um, just because we've never done it before. So Mm. all of that to say, I think that I'm incredibly happy to be in the role that I'm in. And I very much understand that I've been afforded um, the ability to be bold by all of our donors and our community and a staff team that um, is second to none. That's what I will say about the Woman of the Year Award. Afforded the ability to be bold. <laughs> wow. Great. Well, I think we're, you know, we're really lucky in this community to have nonprofit leaders like yourself. But in particular, I think you exemplify the kind of leadership that's necessary right now, that willingness to be bold. And something that I read in in the, the article that was in the magazine, it wasn't you, it was actually one of the people on your team talked about the whole team willing to be vulnerable enough to make mm-hmm. bold decisions. And I had never made that connection before. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of vulnerability and men being more vulnerable. I think vulnerability is a superpower, all this stuff. And I never made the connection that being able to be uh, nimble and responsive and yeah. to do new things requires a vulnerability because it can be really frightening. Oh, yeah. And you'll fall flat on your face. And that's a guarantee at some point. If you if you live your life that way, and that's not to keep quoting other people, but Brene Brown says, if you're going to live your life in the arena, expect to get your ass kicked. And she's, she talks about that people have come up to her and said, oh, you know, I, I'll take the risk of that happening. And she said, no, you're not taking the risk. Mm-mm. You are guaranteeing that it will happen. Um, and so that's a different way to think. And I think it does, you, uh, you know, uh, my staff team, we talk about vulnerability a lot. And it takes a, a big vulnerability to put an idea out there that you know might fail and then to get a whole team behind it because we're going to fail together if we do it. And if you guys remember in, in the beginning of 2019, we totally revamped all of our programming. Mm-hmm. And I was just, we were just going over like a three-year success review. And it was really interesting that looking back, I thought to myself, I was crazy. I, I mean, to go to your board of directors and to say, I think we should shift our mission and let go of nine programs. That's something that uh, very bold people, I will say to you, but also <laughs> slightly crazy people do. But I also think that in order to remain relevant, you have to you have to be able to weather the storm of destroying what you have for something better. Mm-hmm. And that's we knew we needed to be more focused. And um, and I knew that my staff team could weather the storm of what other people thought and what other people said and that they believed in it as well. Right. So, so back yeah. in 2019, just to kind of retell the story a little bit, you shifted. You came on board as executive director. CCJ was doing a lot of different programs and you said we really need to focus on on ending homelessness in yeah. in the Quad Cities, right? Yeah, so we had a housing program and we had our shelter and we always knew that that those were so interconnected and that and and I just thought if we can put all of our resources into ending homelessness as we know it in the shelter first And then we can go on to other things. But in order to do that, we couldn't have 14 programs. You know, we weren't, we're not a mega nonprofit. We were a fairly medium sized nonprofit. And and so 
it was like, how do we use these resources the very best that we can? And we had people who were duplicating other services that we had, and we decided to hand those programs off to people who were doing similar work. But again, that takes the vulnerability to be able to go to someone and say, we don't want to do this anymore, but we're willing to give you everything we know about it and just give it away. And that's a lot of, you know, that let go of that fear of, well, if we don't have a food program, will we still be relevant? Or if we don't do backpacks, will people still come to us? Um, and we had to let go of those fears and say, there's something much bigger at stake here. We don't have affordable housing in this area, and we've got to be at the forefront of being creative in our solutions to housing. Fantastic. And you used a phrase, housing first. And I just, I would love for you to explain that because it's a, it's a kind of a whole philosophy of community service and, and community wholeness, uh, mm-hmm. if I can. Can you kind of explain what that means? Because that's a different way of approaching poverty and a different way of approaching mental health and a different way of approaching homelessness. Yeah, absolutely. So housing first is a concept that states that basically that if you allow someone the dignity and safety of housing, every other challenge that that person is facing becomes so much easier to address. And uh, it, it, I mean, you look at Maslow's hierarchy, right? And safety is number one. So if you're sleeping in a shelter with 35 other people, there's a level of safety that you don't feel, that you do feel when you have a door and a lock. Um, And so uh, housing first in its pure form means before someone's sober, before they're mentally stable, before they have a job, before all of those things, housing is the number one need. So meet that need first. What we do is... A and let me just, and let me just tell yeah. a quick story about what it was like before that, because I just, as a citizen, happened to be biking through Granite Creek Park one February, uh, maybe 10 years ago, right at dusk on my way home, biking home from work. And uh, there was a man on the ground next to a bench. And I knew that that night was going to get down into the teens. And I had just enough, uh, he was alive, uh, and I had just enough cell phone battery to be able to call 911 and, and get the paramedics and the fire folks to, to come to this person. And we all had to stand around in the cold until he got officially hypothermic for the paramedics to be able to transport oh. him because he'd been drinking. And at that time, yeah. none of the shelters in town, none of the shelters accepted somebody who was using or or uh, had alcohol on board? So right. we had to we had to wait and hope that there would be a room that night, a bed that night in the hospital for this person. And and uh, there was nothing there was nothing we could do. And it was you know it was kind of a beautiful moment in a lot of ways, and that everybody was still really compassionate. And uh, you know these hardened paramedics and firefighters were still really just open and honest and treating this person with a lot of respect, which which really surprised me given given how much they have to do in the community. But that just really opened my eyes to like, oh, okay. Yeah. So housing yeah. first and, and your stagger straight shelter means that people yeah. don't have to go through that. People can be exactly kind of whatever's happening for them and they can get shelter, right? Right. So we're a low barrier shelter, which means uh, as long as you can be a healthy part of the community, which, you know, that's kind of like just be kind to each other, um, then you can stay with us. Uh, we, don't, we don't allow people to use on site that we don't have any kind of breathalyzer or anything like that. Um, and our philosophy is that transformation starts with connection. And how are you going to connect with people that are living in homelessness if you don't allow them in? And it's and, and our shelter, as well as Operation Deep Freeze, those were both formed because we had two men die. Uh, sorry, there was uh, the, the story of just outside of where we used to have our food program, there was a man 
um, that passed away. And he, I think he had 86 cents in his pocket. And so, and he had no one. Um, so he passed away and they actually sent the certificate and what was in his pocket to CCJ. And we still have that on our wall. Mm. And so that story that you had has also gone a different way. And that's why we do what we do because that's just because someone is using or has, um, you know, some mental health issues does not mean that they deserve to die in the, which those are the, you know, that's a very connected thing. Um, so yeah, we are the only low barrier shelter in town. And so uh, some people will say, well, CCJ is a swap house. What we do is we want to connect those folks with services, but we have to be in relationship with a person before they trust us to do that. And so we, we gain those relationships through allowing people to sleep in our place and, you know, have a bite to eat, um, have a warm place to be and keep them safe, healthy and alive. So that's, that's what our shelter does in order to create a moment where someone's able to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Whether it's, you know, I don't want to feel this way or I don't want to use this drug or this alcohol or this, or, or I just need help. I don't know how to get a job. Here's what my skills are, you know, whatever it is, then we can take on that next challenge. But the first thing is we've got to get you to a place where you're safe, where you can, where we can earn your trust. Right. And how are you supposed to get or maintain a job when you're living in the bushes? Mm -hmm. We have a really great success story. We had a woman, I will call her Jen for the sake of the podcast. But um, when some of you guys remember back in, it was 2016, CCJ had tents over at the thrift store. And our executive director at the time was allowing people to stay from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in these tents. And there was a woman that was staying there that every morning would get up at 2.30 a.m. to be at McDonald's for a 3 a.m. shift. And I can't imagine keeping a job, having to sleep outside, and then pack my entire tent up and get to work by 3 a.m. But those are some of the things that our folks do overcome. But we're obviously in a place where we want to do that better. And we want to be able to give people a better opportunity and a better foundation to keep a job. Mm. And so in, a, in addition to the shelter, you took on this tremendous task of getting people rehoused. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> See, this is one of those moments where I'm like, we are slightly, you know, off our rockers. Um, yeah, we have second chance housing. So we do housing through RVs, mobiles. That was the first way that we did affordable housing. Uh, and we could offer that from 350 to 550 a month which in the Prescott area is incredibly low. Um, and then we started looking at other options. So we have cottages, which are very, very small extended rooms or what most people would consider a very tiny home. And then we just recently opened up our lodges, which can house up to 12 people, six in each house. And I think that we've, at this point, I think we've engaged 12 people in housing through that. And that's $300 a month. So it's a really a fantastic stepping stone from out of homelessness and into whatever type of housing, you know, that person is aiming for. That's yeah. great. That's great. And we're continuing to figure out what, what's the next creative idea that we're going to do. So, And I, I, I think underpinning all of what you're doing is a different way of looking at people and a different way of, of thinking about people. When we talked before for the other, for what used to be the Rocket Feather podcast, uh, now mm -hmm. the Here Together podcast, you talked about folks experiencing homelessness. You talked about our citizens experiencing homelessness rather than calling them homeless people. Oh, right. Yeah. And that, oh, these are 
our citizens. These are our townspeople. These are our neighbors. And something is happening to them. Not that they are somehow a problem. They're just having a problem. Yeah, they're just other humans that live here with us, and they're living differently. When using the term homeless people, um, which is something that people broadly use, and I don't think that there's malice behind it, but when you say homeless people, it seems as though it's a label that's not changeable, and it is very much changeable. And in fact, in the, one of the richest countries in the world, it should not even be an option unless that's a chosen lifestyle and not a circumstance. So yeah, I think that it's it, the verbiage and then in the, the way we interact is really important too. So, well, and the, it, there's um, almost like transient, right? So when you say homeless people, it feels very other than me mm-hmm. because you think transient people that aren't from this area. When many of our folks have lived here their entire life. So these are our neighbors. These are our Prescott people. And these are people who have fallen on hard times for one reason or another. But yeah, they're very much human, just like you and me. And, and there's so many of us that are living check to check, paycheck to paycheck. And, and so, and I think this, the pandemic has showed us how vulnerable we really can be. I mean, we've given out, so CCJ has done over $90,000 in homelessness prevention through ESG funding this, just in the last, I think, three months. So that tells you how many people are vulnerable to losing their rental home. And, and, and so, yeah, it, these folks are just our, us. You know, yeah, these folks are us. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask about the, the pandemic and how, you know, the, there was that moratorium on people getting evicted early on and then that expired in the summer. And I was curious if you were seeing more evictions and people dealing with that. So the, the moratorium on evictions actually was extended to December 31st. Oh, fantastic. It is fantastic. And uh, we have had, like I said, we've had funding come through to help with uh, uh, rental assistance uh, because even though people can't get evicted, they're on the verge of it. Right. So they're looking at December 31st with fear. Right. Um, and we can do, if someone qualifies, uh, we can do up to six months of assistance. So those are things that there are supports out there. There is, a, there is help. And I guess our fear is that, uh, or what we're looking at is, is that enough to keep a wave of people from experiencing homelessness? We hope so. And what we've seen in our shelter is that our numbers have actually gone down. So we're, we actually have about 12 to 14 people on average a night, whereas last year we had about 35. We've housed a lot of people. So here are the factors that we think could be a part of that. We've housed a lot of people. Folks have gotten stimulus checks. Folks have uh, used the unemployment increase of wage in, in ways that allowed them to have housing now. So there are all these supports. And so then we look at, okay, it's excellent that we have less people in shelter. It's excellent that we're seeing those things happen. But if that's true, if just those small bumps can create such a massive change, then how do we need to change the system forever? Because like I said, we're one of the richest nations in the world. Homelessness should not be a problem here. And so what do we do to put supports in place? And is it rental assistance forever? I don't actually think so. I think that that's, uh, that's a surface issue. So how do we create systems that allow for affordable housing to be there in every community? that allow for a wage that can support someone 
so all of these things, what is the real root issue? And I think we'll find some of those root issues, like I said, in wages, in the amount of affordable housing, in housing authorities having enough power to kind of um, to control some of the uh, costs of rentals for people. And also then we have to look at, um, you know, we've obviously seen in the last decade or two some issues with mortgages. What does that look like? How should that be redefined? I mean, so we're looking at, once you really get down to it, there are some very big ideas and philosophies that maybe could and should be addressed in order to make a culture of people that doesn't have homelessness anymore. You know, there's a a part of this that like, I get really excited about change. I love change, which is a weird thing for a lot of people. Um, But then this other part of it is like, in order to really live and to see what's happening in our world, if you're not walking around kind of pissed off, I don't know if you're really seeing it for what it is Mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, And that's probably a very unpopular opinion, but I'm not going to silver lining the fact that we have got a lot of problems that we, you know, self-impose. So, and we have the ability to fix it. And I think the thing that makes me angry is when we choose to turn away from it and not identify it, and then also in turn choose not to fix it. I'm 100% aligned with that. And that's why I like talking to you because, you know, I, I 100% believe that we can do whatever we want if we can figure out a way to do it together. We can oh, solve yeah. any problem. Yeah, and I am a daring optimist. I really believe that we have, we do have the ability and the power. We know that as humans, we actually have the power to change a lot of things that happen, almost everything that happens. I was just going to ask uh, how your staff and volunteers are faring and, you know, have you had to change how you, how you provide service? Well, in March, we did a big shift and we went to 24 hour shelters. So my staff at that time all became shelter staff immediately. And they did a phenomenal job of just changing course and uh, starting to work shifts and making sure people are safe and healthy and fed and all of those things. So there were about 10 weeks where we did that work. I would say that was stressful, but much needed. At the very beginning, I we sat down and we talked about uh, the fact that we would probably need to provide more shelter services. And the second conversation was, listen, I'm not letting any of you go. We're not laying people off. We will stand beside you for as long as we possibly can. And I will be very, very transparent about that. But we've, we've really, through some of the CARES Act funding and the uh, you know, PPP loans, as well as we had some wonderful donors and foundations come through for us, um, we've been able to keep everybody uh, on at, uh, at whatever you know, um, level they were prior to the pandemic. Um, one thing, volunteer stuff has changed very much. We, we have been almost zero volunteers um, since March. Uh, many of our volunteers are uh, elderly. Um, and also, we just have such a vulnerable population. A lot of our clients are medically vulnerable. And so we are just keeping as many people out of the place as we possibly can. Um, and we've been really, you know, uh, the health department's been great. We have 15, we have the rapid tests in stock so that if we have someone with symptoms, we can test them and know immediately and then get them placed wherever they need to be quarantined. Uh, so really, we've navigated that really well, but I will be honest. 
at the, you know, during March when we were facing all of this, we had kind of that hand in hand kumbaya moment where it was like, we are doing this and we are in this together. Hold your breath because this is going to be tough. As with everything, my staff team has just done an amazing job. Yeah, you used a couple of what I think are really important words for this pandemic as as leaders. You said transparency mm. and and everybody. And I, you know, I know I've been talking to some other organizations that I won't necessarily name uh, who mm. haven't maintained that level of transparency and haven't maintained that level of of togetherness, and they're not they're not doing as well. Yeah. Well, and I think I mean, it's I think it's I, one of the things one of the things that as leaders we have to we have to do the opposite of what our of what our reptile brain wants us to do when there's a crisis. Yeah. Right. Our reptile brain wants us to hide. Yeah. And keep quiet. Or fight. Or fight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and kind of maintain the hierarchy. And it turns out that's not how to respond in a crisis, especially a no. long a long term crisis. No, and not if you want your team to remain remain a family. Uh, one thing that I've said a lot is that uh, clear is kind. Clear is not always easy. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you the truth. And so that's language that we use. There have been moments where it's very hard to maintain. But I think in transparency, too, I'm not just transparent about us as an organization. But there were moments where I would say, I am scared, too. And... I am deathly afraid that one of you is going to get sick. And how do we deal with that? And then how do we keep everybody safe too? So, ugh, um, there were definitely conversations uh, that were not easy to have. And, you know, they continue to be tough. We're still doing uh, direct care and we're still caring for folks that are out, you know, several hours of the day in public places. So we're doing all of the protocol, but there's, it's still a level of guys, we got to keep as safe as we possibly can and serve people. And we were one of the only, we were the only shelter in Yavapai County that continued to take new intakes during the pandemic. So we had a lot of agencies that very much relied on us being able to do that work and taking the risk that other people wouldn't. So there are tears and fearlessness sometimes. Mm. And clarity is kindness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I want to go work for CCJ. I know, right? Are you hiring? Yeah. <laughs> is this all? I just have to cry to get uh, new employees. Is that what how that yeah, worked? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, you know, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about vulnerability and and the idea that leaders are not supposed to be vulnerable is a bad mm. old idea. And I, you, you mentioned it. You talked about it. It's like you know when. I know that when I, as a leader, pretended that everything was fine or pretended to be invulnerable, that people know, yeah. right? We're all really empathetic creatures. We are we are primates with ginormous eyes in the front of our heads and big hearts. Yeah. We know when somebody's putting us on. Yeah. And when a leader puts on their employees and kind of and lies to them by pretending to be invulnerable, we're all on eggshells. All of the employees, everybody that the leader's in charge of is on eggshells because we don't really know the truth. Well, and what I what I was what was coming up for me when you were talking about being transparent, Jesse, and what you what you just said, Charles, too, is what a lack of transparency makes us feel like we can't trust. And when we can trust that lets us relax in a way that is really good for our bodies. Yeah. When we're not constantly generating that cortisol and and adrenaline and everything, and we need that to stay healthy, 
And when we can't trust for eight hours a day, you know, and that lasts, you know, it's like that lack of trust isn't just while we're at work, it's all the time. So that's, that's huge. Well, and that, that reading the room thing that happens when you don't trust the Mm -hmm. people you work with. Hypervigilance. Um, yeah, yeah, that constantly looking at like, what does that mean? What does that dynamic mean? Or how is that going to affect me? Or, you know, and that it's, it's so separating. And, and for both the, you know, our, our whole staff team, I think that if the moment that I, I, I front something that's not true, which is a lie, um, it, the moment I do that, I separate myself from them. Mm-hmm. I become disconnected they become disconnected from me. And then we're both doing this on our own in our own separate ways and trying to fight for survival. And nobody wants to be in that moment. Nobody wants to feel like we're not in this together. Yeah. That's not, I, and I've, and we've all been in work environments that feel like that. Like you're just trying to survive the next eight hours. Nobody wants to live like that. And I don't, I surely that's not how you keep great people around. That's for sure. Mm. No. And that's not how you get selected to be a woman of the year by Prescott area. leadership. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a little break and come back for more with Jesse Hans on the Prescott Woman podcast. Prescott Woman Magazine shows its dedication to this community in all the ways. It covers local stories, features local businesses, trumpets local leadership, champions local causes, and raises money for local nonprofits. Each issue contains gorgeous photography and provides pages and pages of value all for free. This podcast project is also free for you. If you're inspired or intrigued by this episode and stories of local women making positive change, you should check out episode five. We got to interview Crystal Coons and Diane DeLong of the North Star for Teens program. Kelly and I feel so happy and hopeful after hearing those two speak passionately about caring for youth and for this community. This episode is an extension of the cover story in the current issue of Prescott Woman magazine. For more on Jesse and CCJ, pick up the issue available now. This gorgeous lifestyle and business magazine is free at locations all over town. Check the show notes or go to prescottwomanmagazine.com distribution to find the location nearest you or subscribe at prescottwomanmagazine.com to make sure you get your issue as soon as it comes out. Check the show notes for this episode to find links to helpful resources, including links that will help you donate to CCJ. Okay, now back to our talk with Jesse Hans. So Jesse, uh, you said that you don't have uh, volunteers right now working because it's just too too dangerous or yeah. or too complicated. Um, how how do we help? How do we get involved with CCJ right now? Um, well, there's a lot of ways. I th- I think I think number one, and this is not a popular ask because everybody thinks I'm going to say give us money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the po- but the thing that I, th- I think is most important is learn more about what we do, um, because when you know more about what it is to experience homelessness, the true facts involved, then you can tell other people. And there are the stigma still of what we do or who we help is really powerful. Um, and if we can break that down, this becomes a really easy thing to solve. I wouldn't say easy. I would say it's 
a simple idea to solve the issue. There are a lot of complex complexities that go into it. But yeah, break down the stigma, learn a little bit more about homelessness and how it affects people and um, and how we can really, really solve it. This is something that is solvable. I mean, I'm wearing a, or we have one of our shirts says, uh, radical enough to believe we can end homelessness. And I actually don't think it's that radical of an idea. <laughs> but so, you know, become a little bit more well-versed in this work and then tell other people about it. So that's number one. And you can do that, but we do have t-shirts at the thrift store that talk about homelessness. And, you know, I think they're like 20 bucks. So just wearing a t-shirt around that will start a conversation is sometimes, I mean, we wear them every single day. Mm-hmm. It's become the CCJ uniform. So that's another way. Uh, follow us and, and see what we're doing on Facebook and Instagram. We're under Yavapai CCJ, um, also in Twitter. So just keeping well-versed with what we're doing. We have a lot of new projects coming up that are still in the idea stage, but I think we're going to have some really fantastic things for 2021. And then obviously, if, you, if, if you're able, uh, give to our organization. I can guarantee you one of our big mottos is that uh, when we receive money, it needs to go straight out. As a nonprofit, it's important for us to know that if you give us $5, we're taking that $5 and it's going directly back into our mission and that we're going to use it this year. So all of those things are great ways to give. We do have volunteer opportunities lined up when it is safe. And some of those are just helping us out by being a receptionist weekly or working in the thrift store weekly or helping us out in the shelter. So there's some easy ways to volunteer once we get back to that. That's great. And just going to the donations, you know, full disclosure, Kelly and I are, I think we do $25 a month donors. Yeah, you I know, we were close that, but thank you. Yeah, we were kind of we were kind of occasional donors before then. Right, um, and being a monthly donor feels pretty great. Knowing, even if it's you know, I can imagine even if it's ten bucks a month, it makes a difference. Absolutely, just it does. so that you guys can depend on that money coming in. And we get beautiful, we get beautiful postcards from, from CCJ, you know, mm-hmm. kind of lifting up what you've been doing lately with our money. And I feel like it's only $25 a month, but I feel like, look what we built, Kelly. Exactly. We built we're shelters. Part, <laughs> we're part of the solution. Yeah. It feels absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that absolutely helps. So we encourage everybody to, you know, to give locally and to, and to give monthly mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, that makes sense here. And it's tax credit time too. Oh, yeah. Right. For Arizona tax credit, you know, you can give, is it still 400 for an individual, 800 for a couple that's designated um, to a nonprofit? We are one of those nonprofits. So I think you can actually give to, I think, a foster program, a school and a nonprofit, all three. Yep. 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 And a private school program. So you could donate, you know, all of your tax liability, all of your state tax liability and have yes. it and you get to decide where it goes instead of giving mm-hmm. it to the state and letting them figure yep. out what to do with it. So we'll yeah. put a, we'll put Keep a link it right to here the, in, yep. ta- in town. Yep. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. I think we got one more question, right? Yeah. So Jesse, what is your biggest wish for 2021? Oh man, I've been so busy in 2020. Uh, okay. So 2021, my biggest wish, I, I, I want to build something huge. I, I want to start a project that will house a lot of people. We want to do that right. So that's why I said we're still in the idea stage. We want to make sure that it's a place that's beautiful and well-kept and that it's uh, affordable, obviously, and that it's safe for everybody that's there. But we're looking at um, sort of a multi-dimensional type of build where we could serve those who are very, very low income and those who are coming out of homelessness. 
Um, and it could be families and it could be singles and it could be, you know, all different types of structures of family or, um, or just folks living that want to live on their own or with a roommate too. But that's what we're looking to design. And I hope we can get started in 2021. So yeah, I think that that's the big dream for CCJ. Kelly's very excited. I am very excited. I'm very excited Kelly too. Loves, Kelly, loves, gotta... Kelly loves architecture and, and community and design. design and community yeah. design and, oh my yeah. gosh, you have to stop by. So we're in the middle yes. of a renovation. I, I don't think that you've stopped by recently, but you mm. got to come look at it. Yeah. A 2000 foot renovation. Let me tell you that I don't really love construction anymore. But oh no. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but it's been amazing to see things be built. And I'm the same way. I'm a nerd. You'll catch me on realtor.com constantly. I want to see every house. I want to know what it's worth, where it is, um, all those things, uh, and as, as well as commercial construction. So yeah, you should stop by and take a look at it. It's pretty amazing to see it being built. Yay. I'm very excited about that. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for spending time with us and thank you for everything you're doing for this community. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for being, mm-hmm. um, you know, you say a little bit crazy, but I think, uh, brave, vulnerable, courageous. And full of love. And full of love. Oh, thank you guys. I love chatting with you because I feel like our little spirits are very similar. So thanks for being you in our community and, and bringing a platform where people can can talk and, and say they're crazy or brave, which I do prefer ideas <laughs> freely. <laughs> I adore Jessie and just want to hang out with her pretty much all the time. And B, I just love how she works. Her leadership style is a huge part of her success. And that's something that we, Charles and I, talk about all the time. That willingness to be vulnerable and transparent and honest is so important. But it doesn't mean for one moment that she doesn't have good boundaries and the strength to get things done. Quite the opposite. She creates a culture of trust and collaboration from the top down. And it's so impressive and attractive. Who wouldn't want to get involved and help out? Absolutely. I'm 100% ready to go be Jesse's employee, volunteer, dishwasher, whatever right. she needs as soon as, as soon as COVID is over. You know, and her, her stories about her leadership and the way, as you said, the way she approaches problems just swole up my heart a bit, kind of like the way the Grinches did. Uh, and, and when he heard Cindy Lou Who mm-hmm. singing, you know, I just, my heart got a little bigger. Uh, she inspires me to be brave and bold and approaching big nasty problems and just that willingness to make mistakes, the willingness to fail, that it's just failing. is just a hundred percent part of what we do, no matter what, when we're, when it's problems, when it's relationships, whatever it is, just, just keep failing forward. Yeah. That's a culture I want to be a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this was the perfect episode for this difficult winter season. You know, we, we talk about what it means to serve those who are less fortunate, what it means to have a safe place to live and how we can make a difference, not just by writing checks, but by extending compassion. I mean, if that doesn't say Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, solstice, uh, I mean, I don't know what does. So I I hope everybody else's heart kind of uh, swells up a size or two listening to this. Yeah. Not from guilt, but just from love. Right. Right. I think guilt shrinks the heart. Yeah. We'd have it to makes go, things difficult. Yeah. We'd have to go back and, mm-hmm. and talk to uh, Dr. Tung to let her know, I know to right? ask her whether what, what effect shame and embarrassment has on the heart. Oh, that would be cool. That was a callback to episode four, everybody, with, mm-hmm. with Dr. Tung, the uh, 
the cardiac electrophysiologist. So you can support CCJ by going to yavapiccj.org. You can set up a monthly donation there the way uh, we were talking about with Jesse. You can be sure to follow all of their accounts on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Give them the love. Yep. They've got great photography and, and great memes out there that you'd be proud to share. And you can also subscribe to this podcast and to Prescott Woman Magazine so you never miss a moment of this local goodness. Thank you so much for listening. And the Prescott Woman Podcast is produced by Rocket Feather Creative.